tick, 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 tick. In the words of Tom Petty, the waiting is the hardest part. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 239, Miradonsa and the Patient Love of God. Are you stuck in your office spinning your wheels? Is it time for you to get away from your business so you can focus on the business? Maybe a retreat. I'm Katie Horner of the For Your Success podcast, and though my husband and I started out in full-time ministry, living well below the poverty line, our six-figure business now gives us ministry opportunities that far outweigh the ones we had in full-time ministry. Join me and my husband, Tap, on April 30th at the Get Out of the Boat Christian Business Virtual Retreat to recharge your batteries and let us show you how fun it can be to walk out your faith in your business with joy and confidence, because doing the business that God created you to do can be your best worship. The Get Out of the Boat Christian Business Retreat is April 30th from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m., and you can attend from anywhere online. We can't wait to see you there. You can get all the info and register for your ticket right now at getoutoftheboat.com. Hey friends, welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Derek Nevins, and I'm so glad that you are here. Uh, Every single week, we bring to you a show where we talk about the Christian journey, Uh, not just how your life was terrible and then you met Jesus and it's great, but all the stuff that happens after that, because there is so much and it all shapes us into the image of Christ. And I love that. It's one of the most important things, I think. We need to share these stories. So that's what we're going to do. Um, friends, if you haven't had a chance, if you're listening, you know, and you're listening every week, or if you just found it and you feel generous, go out to halfwaytherepodcast.com, hit that Patreon button, and I would love to have uh, to have your support. There's very small amounts per month that would help, or if you want a T-shirt, there's levels for that. I'll send you Halfway There T-shirt. I would love to to get that out to you as well. Represent the podcast out there. Nothing's more fun than seeing your swag out in the world. Today we have a really great conversation. I, I'm looking forward to this. Um, our guest, she's a uh, she calls herself a trail guide for the passionate and creative Christian woman. See, I think that's super cool. She helps people with with that. She also has a podcast called the Devoted Dreamers Podcast, talking with Christian women about their dreams and fears and how God transformed their faith when they attempt courageous things, which is super cool because God always shows up in those situations. So I think that's great. Our guest is Merit uh, Ansa. Merit, welcome to Halfway There. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, this is going to be great. We, you, you're a fellow Denverite, right? I don't know if you share that. Hopefully yeah. you do, but we're, we're, <laughs> now that I say it. But uh, so that's cool. I, I love, uh, you know, meeting, meeting other podcasters in my area. Um, Tell us, like, that's kind of the broad strokes about what you do. I just just throw this whole stuff out there, but tell us a little more about kind of who you are and where God has you right now. Yeah, so who I am today, I am um, a mom and a wife. I have two little kids um, by, well, no, six and two, and I'm 50. So (laughs) I'm living a unique life for my um, age group, but... um, yeah, we live in the Denver area, and we are um, part of a church plant locally here. And um, yet, in COVID, we're hanging a lot out just with ourselves. So, yeah, right. 
I know. I, I'm seeing about other states starting to have less lockdowns and I'm a little bit jealous. I'm like, okay, I'm ready for that. Yeah. Well, as long as it's still cold, I'm okay. True. We can, you know, go to the playground and yeah, manage it. But when summer hits, it's going to be rough. It's a lot harder. We always have huge barbecues in our backyard and I miss that. Like that'd be, you know, mm-hmm. cook a bunch of ribs and stuff and Oh my gosh. Bring people my husband over. is a, a brewer of great beer. Mm-hmm. And he loves having people come over. Like, I'm just going to brew some beer, bring your favorite and we'll hang out. And, um, you know, it's one of the ways that we like to kind of be missional to our neighborhood yeah. and um, draw people together that probably don't know each other. That's right. So, That's such a Denver thing to do too. It, it totally is. <laughs> I know. Anyone listening in Texas is like, what? <laughs> Right, right. I know. Uh, well, all right. Well, I'm not going to rag on Texas too much, but all right. So you're living in Denver now. Where are you from? Where Where did you grow up? Yeah, I am originally from Central California, okay, San Joaquin Valley, and um, there's not a whole lot there. Um, you know, at least at the time in the 70s and 80s, it was a lot of farmland. And um, but I grew up there. Went to college in Orange County, which is the complete opposite. Um, type of environment, which is exactly what I was looking for. Dad uh-huh. says I went to college to live by the beach. That may have been true. Uh, <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. All over. Yeah. I, uh, I actually, um, I think I'm on my fifth or sixth state and moved to Colorado from Texas uh, originally. So I'm allowed to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, I don't want to, re- I don't want to mess with Texas because they've got all the guns. Right. So I always figure if a civil war breaks out, that's where I'm going. Just for the record. Uh, well, I love that. Okay. So, so you went to college to go to the beach. What, um, so what was that like for you growing up? What did you, what was your family like? What was like your, you know, was it a Christian family? What was, what was that like? Yeah. So my parents are from the Midwest. Um, you said to me earlier that you're from Iowa. My mom is from Iowa. My dad's from South Dakota. My paternal grandfather was a Lutheran minister and I, what I understand of the story is my parents left the Midwest in the sixties to kind of get away from some legalistic religious stuff going on in their families, love their families. They are dear people. Um, and yet, you know, moved to California, they're both educators. And so I kind of grew up in this, um, like intellectual sphere of life and, um, you know, knew of God. There were Bibles in our home. We probably went to church until I was maybe eight years old. And um, then my parents, I think, found some interest in other things. And so it took a little bit of a backseat, I would say. Um, and I think probably like my middle school, high school years, I knew some people who now I could tell you they were Christians who were like practicing, you know, saved by Christ. They might've called themselves born again. Um, and they, you know, in conversation, it would come up, are you a Christian? And my answer would be, why do you ask? Like, isn't everyone, you know, that was just kind of my uh-huh. perception is like, well, don't we all believe in God? And I never knew that there was such a thing as a saving faith. It was more of, um, you know, you go to church if that works out for your family and that's what your family does. And, um, beyond that, I'm not sure there was much of an impact that faith or 
God had in my heart. Maybe like a little bit of a pull of like, what is that? I'm curious, but, you know, going deeper, (laughs) further down the road as I got older, a lot of my lifestyle would not have matched up with what my friends in the church were doing in their lives. And so um, I, for a really long time, I would say I rebelled from anything that was God or Jesus or I'm not sure I would have even been able to say Jesus, his name, you know, for a lot of years. Oh, interesting. Okay. So what was that about? Was that a, like a conscious choice or just kind of like a, hey, I'm going to do what like, I want. Like this makes me uncomfortable. Um, I'm an eldest child and I have very clear memories of feeling like my role was to be the perfect kid. No one ever said that to me, but right. <laughs> I took that on for myself. And so anytime I did something that I got in trouble for, like, I remember, I have no idea what it was, but I got called to the principal's office in like second grade. I mean, what could I have possibly done? Pulled somebody's hair maybe. Um, but that was like the worst thing that could have ever happened to me is to get in trouble for something. And so I think I had this fear of like, well, God is the person who gets mad at you when you get in trouble. Um, And so to, I don't know, shield myself from that, I began to kind of take on this role of, okay, anytime I do anything bad, I will hide. I will lie. I will hide. I will cover up and I will pretend that I oh, wow. fit the mold of perfection that I thought I was supposed to live up to. So, well, that couldn't have led anywhere good. <laughs> right. <laughs> it re- led to a lot of bad. I bet. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, just really opening myself to, up to influences that were not of him, you know, as a young, impressionable kid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how did Jesus come into your life then? Well, several decades later. Yeah. Okay. So a long time. I was 30 when I became a Christian. Um, I mentioned that I had lived in a lot of different states. Uh, I was transitioning. Um, I moved actually to Dallas, Texas for a job and ended up, um, I don't know. I think I knew this when I got to the job. It was in the middle of all the dot-com stuff that happened in the early 2000s, um, late 1990s. And, uh, everyone in this tiny little company that I got hired to work for was a Christian. I mean, all three of them. So um, (laughs) myself and my ex-boyfriend got recruited to work for this company. And I remember probably saying at one point, like, I'm fine to work here and you can believe whatever you want, but please don't talk to me about Jesus. Please don't push your like Bible stuff on me. And Within a year, I was saved and redeemed and following Christ, you know, wow. in a real messy way. But um, I really, I feel like that was such a, you know, God calling me out of rebellion and saying, there is something else. And it really was a, um, you know, you hear stories of people who have this like miraculous, you know, transformation. And I would have told you, I didn't believe that that happened to people. And then I saw it happen to somebody that was really close to me and was like, what, how is this possible? And my story was more of 
okay, God, I've tried everything else. Like I, w- I will give you a chance, you know, just in my yeah. pride. Um, and um, over the next several years, he just peeled back the layers of wounds and unforgiveness and, you know, promiscuity and just, you know, living a life that did not honor or glorify him. And it was not safe and healthy for me. Um, so he did a lot of work over time. So I was saved in February of 2001, I think is the year. Um, but I would say it was still a couple more years before I actually was like, yeah, he's got this. Yeah. Well, that takes time. That's called sanctification. That's okay. For sure. Still, <laughs> still working on that. So you, had to, you moved to the Bible Belt. God brought you to the Bible Belt. To, to Can you believe that? <laughs> this California girl who never thought she'd ever live in Texas. <laughs> right. Well, now they're all moving to Texas, which is a whole nother, whole nother story. But. I know. That's, yeah. <laughs> um, interesting. Okay. So can you take us into that? Like, was there a moment? Was there like a, was there an experience that made you go, okay, what, what was that like? Yeah. So um, just to get into the nitty gritty of it all. So I said that I moved to Dallas with my ex-boyfriend. We literally had been living together in a very small town in Michigan. We got recruited for these jobs um, in Dallas. We packed up our U-Haul because we had broken up, packed up our U-Haul with his stuff on one side and my stuff on the other. We drove to his apartment and dumped everything off. We drove to my apartment and dumped everything off. And then we went to work together the next day. Oh, my goodness. And there were five of us working for this company. And um, the I would say one of the big um, turning points for him, at least, was... um, Part of why we broke up. This is this fits into what I said earlier. Keeping secrets. Um, I had had a little interlude with another man while we were dating and still living together, and I kept it from him. And he found out, like months after we had broken up, my my ex boyfriend. He found out about it because he got our phone bill back when you used to have to make long distance calls. Yeah, on your landline. He got our phone bill and was like, "What are all these calls?" You know, and he figured out that I was having this relationship with this other guy. And I thought, oh, I'll just break up with him and then I don't have to tell him anything, you know. So he found out and just lost it, like completely lost it and uh, said to me, like, we need to, I mean, this is happening in our workplace. He's telling me, like, I got this phone bill, invites me, like, we need to talk. Please come over tomorrow night and we'll have a conversation. And Meanwhile, in the background, he had been, I think, exploring church, going to church with one of the people we worked with. Um, You know, he probably was reading his Bible, that kind of thing. I showed up at his house. I mean, this is like 24 hours, maybe 48 hours later. And he opened the door and he said, I have accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. I forgive you. The conversation we were going to have is not happening. Whoa. It's like, that's weird. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? And, um, and he's the one that, I mean, literally changed overnight after we moved into our separate apartments for the couple of months that we both lived there and were not believers. He kind of stalked me a little bit. He would drive by my house late, like, where's your car? Why aren't you home? Who, who are you with? You know? And he would call me really late at night and that ended 
I mean, there couldn't have been a clearer, like something just happened here that is not human, you know, like, okay, maybe God is real, possibly. And um, we'll see. That's kind of what I said. We'll see. We'll see how long this lasts. And months and months and months of him, my ex, just being faithful, reading his Bible, being in community, going to church. Um, Our company started to fail pretty quickly. uh, And the other three people that worked with us were like gone all the time. So we were in the office alone and he would pull out his Bible and he would tell me about Paul. I had never heard of Paul. Wow. This whole road to Damascus thing. I'm like, I've never heard of this. I own a Bible and I've never heard of this. And the beautiful thing that the Lord did in this, um, drawing me to himself through someone's own salvation experience was that this man knew me really well. He knew all the things I would resist. He knew all the types of questions I would have. And so literally this man that I had betrayed ministered to me. He drew the bridge diagram and like, like, look what, look what the alternative is. Like hell is the alternative because the wages of sin are, is death. I was like, oh, well, I don't understand that. And he was so patient, um, God and my ex-boyfriend, um, to just weave in the stories from the Bible that grabbed my heart and showed me this is not just a book. This is not just a thing that people believe. Um, but that there is life transformation walking with Christ. And so um, one of the guys that we worked with was very, I mean, they all were, but this guy was pretty connected to his church. He worked really hard to like help me feel connected. I had no friends really. And he was like, come to my community group and come to my church. And I would like stand off in a corner and like watch baptisms happen. And like, what is going on here? (laughs) And um, he said to me one day in February, it was really cold and dreary. And I think I was probably in like a bit of a depression. And yet uh, this guy knew kind of some of the things that interested me and the types of things that I was doing at my job. And we were leaving on a Friday afternoon um, for the weekend. And he said, Merritt, have you ever been to my church's website? Back when websites were still pretty new. And I was like, no, I haven't. You know, why? Why should I? Oh, it's such a great site. You should go check it out. They've got some really cool tools on there. And there's this, you know, there's this button that says free gift. Go check it out. And I was like, (laughs) okay. So two days later, it's a Sunday. um, I remember sitting on the carpet in my tiny little apartment in Dallas and, you know, feeling like I was totally alone. I didn't know what I was doing with my life. Um, I pulled up that website for my friend's church, clicked on that button that said free gift. I was totally clueless what the free gift was. Right. Like I, maybe they're sending me a CD. I can see it coming. But, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> you didn't know. Anybody who's a Christian knows where this is going. <laughs> I was so clueless. But I opened it up and started to realize like I'm hearing the same things that had been preached to me, spoken to me by my ex of the gospel, the clearest gospel presentation I had ever heard in my life. Even though I had been in churches, had friends who were 
Christians probably, you know, um, and this was basically like a PowerPoint that was on their site. And it took me through like asking all the questions. Yes. Yes. Do you believe this? Yes. Do you, you know, and every question was a yes. Do you accept Christ as your savior? And I was like, yeah, I think I do. I mean, I don't know what my other options are at this point. Yeah. And so I said, yes. And then the next slide was now you need to tell someone. And I was like, darn it. (laughs) Why why do I have to do that? I'd like to just keep this real close to the chest. Um, But I had a friend that knew me when I lived in Michigan and she was probably the most open Christian I'd ever known. And, and the one that I think was probably the least, you know, offensive to me as a non-believer, like she was really just gentle and kind and didn't try to push anything on me, but just like lived out her faith in front of me. And so she was the one that I chose to call. And this girl, of course, was like bouncing off the walls, like, I got some stuff to send you. So I got my free gifts. Like she sent me some CDs and some books and, you know, (laughs) like I got, I got the free gift. Um, But it was so sweet to have somebody to celebrate that with. And then of course I go back into the office and have to tell everybody and, you know, and I have no clue, like, okay, it's a big deal. Yes, it's a big deal. But I'm still like, what does this even mean? Am I going to be different tomorrow? (laughs) Right. Yeah. So. Wow. That's an amazing story. And I love how you put that. This man that I betrayed ministered to me, like what a great picture of just even God's grace in, in just ministering to you. That's an amazing story. I really love that. Um, Thanks for sharing it. Yeah. Okay. So after that, like, so how did you start to, to kind of grow and you said it took a few years, which is normal. I think you were, were, what was that like? Describe that time and kind of maybe significant points as you go. Yeah. So, um, I was 30, I was single. I was, um, I will say like heartbroken over a lot of years of, um, kind of expecting a human love to complete me or to satisfy a need that I felt. And, um, you know, I got, I got involved with boys really, really young. So like at the age of 14 to the age of 30, I was, I spent all those years trying to find like hope and significance and love. I so desperately wanted to be loved by a man. And so now here I am, a new Christian, trying to figure out my way. Like I didn't, I was clueless. And I mean, who wouldn't be? And somebody invited me to a Bible study, like just a really basic, like learn how to read your Bible. Okay, yeah. I think I probably should try to figure that out. And um, I was in there with two, it was really small, like two or three other brand new believers and a young woman who had gone through recovery um, in AA and kind of had a lot more years under her belt of um, getting over hurts. And I would, I cried a lot in those early years of um, being a, a new believer and really wanting my life to look differently from just like a human, you know, I've really wanted to be married. That's all I really wanted. And, and then here, Jesus is like, okay, well, why don't you and I walk together for some time and figure this out? And my friend said to me, um, we had a celebrate recovery program at our church. 
And she said, I really think it might be helpful to you to go check out this thing called CR. I was like, I don't know what this is or why it would help me. I do not have an addiction to drugs or alcohol as far as I know. Um, Why? And she was like, I just think it would be, it would feel supportive to you. And I was like, okay. So I walked into, you know, what felt like the church basement, you know, this like back door, you know, like here's where all the hurting people go. And I just sat there and I cried through the whole thing. I mean, it was like worship and scripture and people sharing their stories of just God redeeming them out of terribly hard things. Like people that I saw at church who were like, yeah, I've been in jail. Yeah. I had a DUI. No, actually I had three DUIs, you know, like just telling these stories that I'm like, Christians, you know, just like opened my eyes to so much more of like the need for Christ that like none of us have it together as much as we try, you know, and I'm still like trying to have a, like, you know, buck up and have a smile on my face when I go to church. And I was just really an aching, hurting person. And so I went through the 12 steps in the celebrate recovery program, which is a biblically based um, recovery program. And, and they really, it's not just like, Oh, I have an addictive addiction to a substance. It's like, for me, I think I kind of figured out like codependency or um, like seeking this fulfillment in a human, which I'm not even sure what you call that, but Um, There was just so much of me trying to find myself in things that were always going to let me down. And so I spent two years really deeply looking into my past and the choices I had made and the people that I had hurt and the people that had hurt me and um, seeking forgiveness and reconciliation and um, going back and righting wrongs. And then I spent the next five years serving in that ministry. And it was just this like... I don't know, the Lord kind of like knitting up and and mending the wounds that were just these, you know, I feel like gaping holes all over me that probably other people could see, but I tried so hard to hide. And when I stopped hiding, the healing just exponentially grew and was able to, you know, that I think it's in second Corinthians that talks about like, you know, we're able to comfort others with the comfort with which we've been comforted. And so all those years of um, realizing realizing I'd lived in a way that was so harmful to myself and others, God began to knit up those holes and showed me how to be honest about my story so that others could realize that they could be honest about their story. And it was in all of that, that I began to really feel like, oh, I'm getting more of what this faith walk is about, what, how the gospel impacts us and how we have such a great need for Christ. And, and I can let down the facade of trying to be perfect because I am never going to get that right. And so I will say that, you know, CR is not a perfect program, but the people in that ministry and the work that God did in my heart really began to um, clean out those wounds and and heal me in a lot of ways. 
I love how Celebrate Recovery especially just gave you permission. Uh, and I know people who do that at my church as well. Same kind of thing. But give give you permission to uh, just not be, like you said, perfect or to not have to have that facade and say, no, we, the only way we're going to grow is if we are honest. You know, and like mm-hmm. I wish that our Sunday mornings, you know, I heard somebody say last year, like, you know, people are mad about wearing masks to church, but they've been doing it for years, right? Like, it's yes. so true. It's so true. And it's it's much better if we don't have to put those on and, and get more personal, but we need space for that. And so it's like Celebrate Recovery gave you that space. Oh my gosh. Yes. So much. And um, yeah, I mean, it was beautiful. I To go from this, like, I don't understand why I would even need to go do this, you know, mm-hmm. to shouting from the rooftops, like, everybody come, come share your garbage. Uh, like, let's clean it out. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like the Samaritan woman, right? Go, come and tell me what, go, come and see what, a guy who told me everything I'd ever done and didn't hate me, right? Like, that's. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. Wow. That's amazing. So I, I love the beauty in that story. What? Like, well, so what else, where, where'd you go from there and what kind of happened? You said you were there for five years or so serving in that. Yeah, I was actually serving in ministry there until, um, I left and moved to Colorado, but, um, gosh, so the other, (laughs) this is another long story, but, um, still single, (laughs) 35, still single in Dallas, Texas, where, I mean, I definitely had a lot of female single friends, not a lot of male single friends, but um, yeah, so I wasn't alone in it, but I was just kind of like, Lord, um, so you've done a lot of work here. I can see how I'm much healthier to be married now <laughs> than I was five years ago. Um, and yet, you know, I just had some real quiet years, like not a date at four years. And I knew this guy, um, we were acquaintances. I mean, we kind of ran in somewhat the same friend group. And, um, a lot of my friends were like, Hey, how about Todd? He seems like a nice guy. And I'm like, I'm not sure I've ever dated a nice guy. <laughs> Why would I be interested in him? You know? And I mean, and he wasn't like, in my opinion, like not, not my type. Todd was not my type. And the same for him. People were like, Hey, Todd, what about Merritt? Oh no, we're just friends, you know? And, um, then our friend group group kind of started to grow a little bit closer and we were spending more time together, but if this was like, you know, it wasn't like three of us, it was like 10 or 15 of us. And, um, we were trying to think of when this was, I would think I was 37 and I had gone over to his house with a bunch of people to watch a movie one night and, he walked me to my car. This is like late at night. And I'm like, why are you walking me to my car? Weirdest <laughs> thing ever. I can um, see where this is going again. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, so I think we should be in a relationship. And I'm like, what? You know, most of the guys I knew that asked people out would say, let's go to coffee. Right. Like, no, I think we should be in a relationship. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, and just, I just wasn't seeing it. And I really resisted it. I, he would tell the story like, well, she couldn't really give me an answer. I was like beating around the bush the whole time. Like, well, um, I just got out of like 
you know, relationship. And so, you know, just like, I don't know, I'm just not, you know, he's like, well, it sounds like a no, you know, I, I'm, I know I took a risk. This might impact our friendship, but you know, let's just act normal when we see each other again. And over the next several months, um, he was the most consistent, kind, funny, gentle, endearing male friend I think I'd ever had. And, um, and I went to some of my girlfriends and I was like, am I missing it? Like, am I stupid to, to overlook him? And my sweet friend who told me to go to CR was like, he's a diamond in the rough. I really think you should give him a chance. And I was like, oh, okay. And I mean, I really feel like God began to shift my heart and allowed Todd to be so patient and honest. I mean, we had a conversation around Thanksgiving time where I was like, I just don't think I'm attracted to you. He's like, I'm not bothered by that. Really? What? What what do you mean you're not bothered by that? That seems really weird. And he was consistent and faith. And he would tell you that God um, strengthened him in a way that he had never experienced in pursuing a woman. He'd never had a girlfriend. Wow. And he was so confident and so like not insecure. And his patience and care for me caused me to ultimately be like, okay, okay. I I think I might be willing to give this a chance. (laughs) And, you know, it was a, um, it was an interesting road for us, but we did get married two years later. And, um, you know, I look at it now and I'm like, right. My picker of men was broken, (laughs) was very, very broken. And um, just had this really sweet pursuit that I never knew existed. And I never knew that like um, all the stuff that you see in the movies isn't really real. Like (laughs) like the infatuation and the passion that you see in movies is unsustainable for a marriage. And I did not understand that. Like you can be passionate and loving and, yeah. you know, and, and infatuated in love with your spouse, but those things have to settle at some point and kind of find a middle ground where you're not like constantly in adrenaline in a relationship with somebody, because this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. Right. And so um, that was something too, that like, I got married when I was 39 years old and I never expected to like have to quote, you know, wait that long for the right guy, but I was really looking for the wrong thing. And I feel like um, the Lord opened my eyes to something that I wouldn't have ever considered. And I would have missed out. I would have missed out big time. Um, this kind man, you know, because I just had the wrong glasses on. (laughs) Yeah. So you feel like God provided for you and in your husband in a way that you couldn't have predicted. So much. Um, yeah, I, I like to tell the story too that um, he, once I was married and like kind of had this like chosenness, 
I mean, we're chosen by God. That's one thing. And that, and there was a way that like God in his kindness, like allowed me to feel that chosenness by human um, and have it not be sinful. You know, like, I don't, I don't think I have like an idolatry over that um, as I look back on it. And there was something in it that like opened me up. Like it freed me to see who God made me to be because all of a sudden I wasn't trying to impress somebody all the time. You know, I wasn't trying to like put on the mask again and like be okay or be beautiful or be skinny or be whatever it was. Like, no, I just could be myself. And so we joke about how like I actually got a lot funnier once we got married because I could just be my goofy self. I wasn't trying to like impress anybody. And he was actually impressed by <laughs> kind of upside down and backwards, but yeah, like God, God provided in, in a way that I would not have expected. And he has continued to do that in our, in our marriage and in growing our family and in losing jobs and finding employment and all of that stuff. Like, so when you said provider, I was like, yes, absolutely. Oh, wow. I love that. That's a, that's such a great story. That is really, really meaningful. And I love how that kind of, um, yeah, complete is too big a word maybe, but like it just kind of <laughs> brings full circle, right? Some, some of your, some of your, uh, it closes the loop on maybe on some of your, some of your story, which I think is really yes. fascinating. Yes. Yeah. Don't use complete. That's too Jerry Maguire. No, I don't, you're right. Yeah. I don't mean that at all. I don't, I don't. <laughs> I know what you mean. But I mean, like it kind of brings the yeah. story like, like, oh, God, God actually, he didn't leave the the story loop open, right? He, yeah. He brought you to a place where he was like, no, this is what I have for you. I love that. Wow. How did you start to find, um, cause then you talk about imposter syndrome. Like, so did you, you know, it sounds like it's been a little time since then. How have you kind of found yourself in kind of, you know, in the last whatever decade or ho- however God's working through, through with you on that? Yeah. I mean, I think it has a lot to do with what I talk about on my podcast of just, um, I don't know, maybe I was stuck in like my quarter life crisis a little bit too long. (laughs) (laughs) A little longer than. Right. I'm the kid in the family that like never quite knew what to do with her life. And um, my brother is very secure (laughs) financially and, and career wise, but I always felt like a little bit of the black sheep, like, well, I don't really know what I'm good at and uh, I'll try a lot of different things. And Um, yeah, so I was, um, around the time that we were getting married and kind of moving out to Colorado, I was blogging and really passionate about, um, support for women who were single longer than they wanted to be. And, um, had kind of thought about like, Ooh, I could like create a course or create a, like a support for women going through what I went through. And, um, it took me so long to kind of figure out what I wanted to do with that, that by the time I actually was testing things out with some single friends that I had here in Colorado, I realized that my heart was no longer in it. And I was like, oh, great. You know, here I am again. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Like, what do I actually care about? And ultimately what I actually care about is women living in freedom. So freedom from fear and comparison and imposter syndrome, freedom from thinking a man's going to complete you, like all of those things tied together. And I began my podcast in summer of 2016 after realizing like, well, this other 
blog thing for single ladies is probably not going to work <laughs> out. And, and realizing like the, um, kind of the energy and the momentum it took to start something new from scratch and the internal battles that I had to go through to decide like, what do I really care about? Like if I could talk about one thing on the internet, what would it be? And it, it was that I wanted to share the gospel and I wanted to help women get past some of the junk in their life experiences that were, was keeping them stuck from really living in the freedom of the gospel. And so um, it was really, I think you asked, what was my experience of kind of finding myself in that? And it was actually just doing it. It was mm. testing things out and being honest, like in the first season of my podcast, like, well, I'm really sweaty because I'm so nervous recording this episode right now. <laughs> like I actually say that. In Aren't we all? Episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I and get it. It's like, like it's okay to not really totally know a hundred percent what you're doing and to learn along the way. And that was, you know, that feels like duh to me now, but at the time I think I was just so fearful of like getting it wrong or making another wrong choice and getting stuck in something that, Oh, I don't know if I really care about this anymore. Um, but to talk about, talk with Christian women about their God shaped dreams to hear what other people were like, having percolate in their own hearts that they feel like, you know, like God just kind of dripped this into me, this idea. And like, here's what I think it's going to be. And, you know, here's how I'm fighting back the voice of the enemy. That's telling me like, I'm not enough and you, I can't do it. And I don't have what it takes. And maybe I just need a master's degree or a PhD and 10 years from now, I'll finally get to do it. And it's like, no, just step into it and trust him. And I think the more I've taken steps I feel like it has so grown my trust in him that not that he's a safety net, like, oh, I can always fall back on God. No, that he is like buoying me, like he's carrying me yeah. and supporting me and the foundation of everything that I do. And I'm not sure like if I hadn't taken thing, taken risks, like things that felt like oh, this is totally out of my comfort zone. I don't think I can do this. If I hadn't done that. I'm not sure I would have trusted so much that he was there for that. Like I can believe it intellectually, but in order to believe it in my heart, I had to actually practice doing hard things yeah. and seeing how it, my spirit responded and how my need for him grew. Like, okay, God, this is so beyond me. Like, would you please meet me in this? Because I don't know what to do. Yeah. And it has grown my faith by leaps and bounds just by saying yes to like, okay, I'll do something that feels hard. I love that. And I totally resonate. I always think of it that there's that scene in Indiana Jones, I think it's Temple of Doom where there's the, you know, the one I'm talking about with the, with the like invisible bridge and he kind of, oh gosh, yeah. he throws out the, the rocks to like see if it's actually there. And then he has to step out on it. And I think of that, like being, sometimes being a podcaster but, or being a you know, Christian business person or whatever, it's like that, right? Cause you don't know if it's actually there or not. You're like, I think there's something here and I'm going to go and pursue it. And it can be really tough, but I love what you said. Like you're sharing the gospel and you're bringing the gospel to bear on, on women's lives, right? For, for the, to encourage them to let go of all the lies that Satan has told them and to, and to trust God like that. Man, that is the definition of the gospel right there. 
I love that. We could all do for a little more of trusting God. That's right. Always, always. Yeah. It's, uh, that's, that's what it's all about, I think. And, and it doesn't have to come um, in huge quantities, right? It comes exactly. in small steps. And that's, yeah. that's the way that we, that we do it. Well, you and I started podcasting about the same time also. So that's, that's, oh, that's cool. Fun. Right about then is when I, yeah. June 6, 2016, I remember. Oh my gosh, June 1st. There you go. See, it was right then. Podcast buddies. That's right. That's good. Well, okay. I think that's fantastic. Um, I'm really, think really grateful that you shared your story. Um, is there like, what else people can find your podcast, right? It's the devoted dreamer podcast. They can find that at doing where they get podcasts, right guys. So you're in the app, just go flip over there and, and find it wherever you're listening to it um, or to this. And uh, I would love to have people be able to connect with you as well. They can find you at merit, meritonsa.com, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's my email. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's my website. That's yeah. your website. Yep. And that's linked and halfway there, podcast.com. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Oh, Eric, one of the things that you asked me to think about in preparing for this was um, like one of the ways that God has spoken to me through his word. And as I was praying over that, and trying to think about like what scripture shifted some things for me. It was Zephaniah 317. And it's this image of, um, I never can remember which translation I'm sharing, but it says he rejoices over you with singing. That God rejoices over us, that he, that we are his treasure and he, we are his beloved, he loves us. And, and therefore he's like, so happy with us that he rejoices over us with singing. And when I read that, you know, in this tiny little book in the old Testament, first of all, I'm like, does God love me in the old Testament? Because I'm not sure mm-hmm. that's kind of, there's a lot of scary stuff in there. Um, but to, when I first read that little section of scripture, it opened something up for me to understand that God didn't just save me and us um, from sin, but he saved us for himself. Like he did this, that we would become his people. And there is a chosenness in that. And so you ask, what do I want to leave the audience with? And it's that if you don't already know that you are chosen and beloved of God, but that there's something about your faith that you just haven't seen it that way. Like know that you are chosen and beloved of God, that he sees you and loves you with an everlasting love. And nothing else can stand in the way of that. Like he's God. And so we have permission to live in the freedom that his love offers us. And so that's what I would say. Mm, I love that. Another good reason to read the Minor Prophets, friends. There's so much good stuff in there about God and his love and how he sees you. I'm convinced that this sort of I'm a worm theology is so wrong and detrimental to your growth. Let go of it. You, you There's sin, but God loves you. And that's how it goes. So uh, absolutely, absolutely love that. Uh, Merit, thanks so much for being here. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Me too. It was really fun. Thanks, Eric.